Today's podcast is brought to you by Caffeine Gum Australia, designed for use by the US military. Caffeine chewing gum has been widely used in professional sports as the main pre-game or training caffeine source for a number of years now. Some of the benefits include 100 milligrams of caffeine per piece. It absorbs through your mouth and not through your stomach, therefore giving your body quicker access to the caffeine. And it comes in three different and unique flavors, including cinnamon, spearmint, and arctic mint. Try some today at www.caffeinegumaustralia.com. And boom, we're back. Welcome back to the Wandering Bear Sports Podcast, the number one sports podcast in the world. What we try and do on the podcast is give our listeners an insight into what is required to perform at the highest levels of sport as well as an insight into the characters and some of the stories of the people involved. So, today's very special guest has had a different road to the top of professional sport than most. Starting his career in Japan in the Japanese top league, Raboni narrowly missed out on the last World Cup by one week due to qualification. And after some stuff happened with COVID and seeing his childhood friend BPA, or otherwise known as Brandon Pangoromosa, play for the Wallabies, he thought he'd come home and have another crack in Australian rugby and has just signed a two-year contract with the Waratahs. So, without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Raboni Vosayatho. Let's start now, mate. Thanks thanks for doing this. I, I guess a good place, good place to start is why did you decide to come back to Australia? You must have been pretty close to being qualified for Japan, yeah. I can only imagine they were interested in you as well. Pretty good money for a young man. What was the yeah. motivation? Um, <clears throat> I think for me personally, uh, you know, I was kind of having more moments near um, the last two years where I'll, I'll call up my parents and I kind of, I'm looking at them and I'm like, holy Jesus, like it's been four to five years where I haven't really seen family, friends, um, like consistently. And you kind of see how everyone's getting older around you. And, and at that time in um, the team I was with, I kind of got to a little bit of a, like a, a learning stagnant. Um, and I kind of, I just had this fire after watching uh, BPA um, play at Suncorp with the, the all, they got the win over the All Blacks. Yeah, and it kind of just it took off from there. I was like, you know, like I'm 25, uh, you know, 26, 26 to kind of 28. You kind of in your prime where you're physically strong and your your mental side's there. So I was like, why not have a crack, mate? Um, <sighs> a couple of, couple of things to dig into there. Let's start with our good friend BPA. So he, you and he are very very close. You grew up yeah. together. You've been friends for forever. Tell yeah. me about that relationship between you guys and the influence he's had on you and, and seeing his success. What's that done for you as well? Yeah, well, just just like I said just there. Um, yeah, we grew up together. I mean, pretty much I think our parents met uh, Belfield Park or um, when we were like three or two. And then, uh, yeah, we just kind of – the family stuck around each other from then on. And, um, yeah, we took off and, you know, be, Brendan and I always, when we were young, shared like a dream of 
playing white at that time. We used to always say the All Blacks, watching Jonah Lomu, uh, Manu yeah. and people like that. Um, but, you know, in the, in the later years, I kind of drifted off going into soccer where BPA kind of stuck down with the rugby and he, he was doing really well coming up in the uh, Sydney East ranks, CHS, all that kind of thing. And even then in the high school years, kind of seeing where BPA was getting at with his rugby there kind of pushed me towards uh, getting back into rugby. So I, I finished up school in uh, Queensland and I just came down to Endeavour for the last year and uh, I joined Southern Districts and that's when I met... Um, who would have been back then? I mean, we used to always see Doily and that, but I was only like 16, 17. You boys would be hanging around. That's when first grade and Colts would be training at the same time. Yeah. And uh, and then from there, um, going me obviously going to Japan and, you know, um, BPA uh, kind of having a tough time trying to crack it. And then in his season for the Reds, where he's an extended player, makes Wallabies. And just kind of those little those little inclinings of seeing like you know your your brother do really well playing for the Wallabies, um, it kind of pushes you and lights a little fire in me. And I think that's where it took off, to be honest. You played you played soccer. That's something I didn't know about you. Tell me about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I pretty much played soccer until I was like sixteen. So I was playing football. Uh, I went to school for football and then um so football is in soccer or football is yeah in... soccer soccer in yeah soccer. okay <clears throat> so yeah. i was playing soccer so you I got a scholarship have... you got a, so- a soccer scholarship yeah so i was going to a tss for the soccer scholarship and obviously when um i changed to rugby i was playing d so i mean i'm not going to keep the scholarship and that school is pretty expensive so we couldn't afford it so we just headed down to Sydney. That's kind of yeah. where the stories took off. Uh, you you would have been the world's scariest soccer player to play against, considering the way you play rugby as well. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man. Well, you would have seen, like, when I was coming in maybe to the early ranks, uh, I was really skinny, a lot smaller than Brendan. I didn't hit the growth spurts really late. Um, yeah. B- BPA has been, you know, built like a fridge since birth, so. Um. <sighs> In fact, I remember when he trained, he did a preseason with the Tars and it's, he, he just played two years of first grade at Hooker, one of the best players in the competition. And, you know, everyone who played with him, particularly in the front row, was like, this guy is special. Yeah. Went to the Tars, they made him lose all this weight. He came back, wasn't playing as well as he could play and then gradually put all his weight back on and then started killing it again. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they, Exactly. I love playing with that dude. Um, yeah. The other, the other thing from the first part of what you said that I was going to dig into is, is you've done something, probably it's a little more common now, but traditionally unusual, whereas you actually played in Japan at the start of your career. Yeah. And, and almost, um, you know, I, I know the money over there is good, so it'd be nice to be able to come back with a few bucks in the bank and actually chase the dream rather than doing it the other way around. Yeah. Do you think yeah. that, that is that something that's becoming more common? And, and do you think that kind of attitude would help a little bit with more players? Yeah, I think so now. Um, yeah, like you just said, especially like when I was doing it, it still wasn't too common. I mean, 
leaving at 20. But as uh, you already know, Rob Penny, um, he giving me my first crack over there. And I mean, I was working, you know, I was moving steel and um, delivering steel and stuff like that for like $600 a week. And then you get, you know, an offer for six months that will, you know, like more than triple what you're making. And then you're like, oh, why not? Why not have a crack? I I don't understand when people criticise young guys for taking those opportunities. I mean, Mm. like who in their right mind wouldn't want to go and live in Japan, earn good money in your early 20s? And I mean, what's the alternative? Working on a building site, hoping that you make it in Sydney. How did the Japan opportunity come about? So um, I think it was a, a little mix of perfect timing. So I actually had only signed to my now manager, Andrew, probably like six months prior. And then, um, well, manager and Andrew in Milan as well. Um, And then uh, NTT uh, had an injured uh, back rower. I think Shockey, their captain, was a seven. And he just, uh, he torn his ACL or something like that. And uh, I guess Rob at the time had been in contact with Andrew and then um, he, he was like, all right, can you send over a video of this kid? And at that time, when I was playing uh, in Southern Districts, I was like 111 kilos or something. Um, just kind of big into carrying and stuff like that. And then, um, yeah, Rob just kind of hit me with a, a contract, I think, two, three weeks after seeing the video. And he's like, yeah, here we go. It was like six, I think it was six to eight months. And yeah, like I said, it was it was more than I could ever make um, in Australia, so I just took it. <clears throat> what was it like? So you were twenty. You were twenty when you left. Yeah, yeah. So I assume so you would have gone to boarding school in, in um, at TSS, or did yeah. your family move up as well? No, I was I was I was a boarder. Okay, so it wasn't your first yeah. time moving out of home, but like Japan is a it's a wonderful country, but it's a very complex culture it's very different yeah. to australia you know it's well and truly out of your comfort zone yeah as a as a young fella going over there on your own what was that like to be honest it was def a definite culture shock man um i don't know at that stage i was really young um even with the contract i actually didn't tell my parents i got it until probably like a month after I'd already signed it. I've always kind of been <laughs> a guy who's kind of like, uh, I'll just do it with actions instead of uh, t- talking about it. So, yeah, it came to this point when I was like, all right, parents, I'm off. And then they will obviously shocked by it. But I just kind of rocked in, didn't really put the most thought into it. And, mate, I arrived there immediately barraged by, no like, there's no English being spoken at all. Um, Frank, but luckily, see, I, I was really blessed along my way. Frankie Kalguli was there. Oh, yeah. so he had already spent like four months there. So I was able to get um, his kind of like knowledge and he took me under the wing a bit, but massive culture shock, man. But I think as, uh, as you'd know, like with the Japanese as well, they're the most polite people like, They'll try their best to speak, you know, a little bit of English to get it by, but food, everything. I was just, it was quite overwhelming my first year. I, I was pretty, I struggled a bit. 
Did you end up? Did you end up uh, <laughs> learning to enjoy the culture, the food, the language, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, I think once you um, I think you would know as well. Just when you travel, you gotta you gotta um, immerse yourself into it, don't you? Like you, you can't you can't sit back and kind of be an Australian when you know you're going to live there, you can't just like have this kind of idea of I got to live like an Australian. You kind of got to immerse yourself in their culture, be like quite robotic. When you see the green lights and not walk across the road, you're, you're stopping, yeah. you're waiting there. Even if there's no cars, um, you're not speaking on the phone in the train. I mean, you're bowing when you're saying thank you. Um, just simple things like, and once you I immerse myself, I loved it. I love the country, and especially where Chiba is, it's probably one of the the most like. It's kind of like what would you say that the Rose Bay or Darling kind of harbor living area of of Tokyo. So it was it was unreal. What, what about the food? Was that something? Were you someone that always had like uh, an adventurous taste in food, or was that something you had to get accustomed to as well? <sighs> Thankfully, uh, mom, well, my mum's a professional chef, so I I'd always had, I had some da- taste buds on me. Um, <laughs> so I could, I could definitely get used to the, um, but you know, when, when you're eating sushi in Australia, you think it's like a chicken avocado drenched in mayo over there, but over there, it's just straight beautiful sashimi, like yeah. fresh, freshly caught. So that's a bit of a shock, but once you have it, it's, it's unreal. In terms, in terms of the, the running of the team, so I've, I've heard a quite a few teams do it differently. So Rob, Rob obviously a Kiwi guy, speaks English. Did, did he speak Japanese or was most of his coaching in English with translators? How, how did that all work? Yeah, so uh, Rob would always have a fair crack at his, <clears throat> his Japanese. Um, but, yeah, we, we had translators there. Most teams have maybe two, two, three Japanese people that can speak English. I mean, most of the players have learned <clears throat> um, like basic English in school as well. But um, yeah, we would have, uh, so Rob would speak and then the translator would come in kind of in the meetings um, and kind of, yeah, pr- repeat what he says. But I mean, to be fair, most, most of the foreigners would have a fair crack at their Japanese and, and the basics of it. So did they, did they give you lessons or was that was that part of it or was that an optional sort of thing? Optional. It's definitely it's optional, but I mean <clears throat> I took it because I was like, you know, why not? You can say they give you up an option of like I think Monday, Wednesday, Friday, if you want to rock in and it's all paid for. So Mate, some, something I've learned yeah. about uh, living and being in other countries is if you can start to speak the language a little bit, it opens up a whole new world for you because um, Japan, if you can own, well, like I grew up in Hong Kong. Everyone speaks English in Hong Kong, basically, apart from a few Chinese people. But having the ability to, to speak a little bit of Chinese opens you up to just a whole new world that you wouldn't have ever known. Exactly. What about the Sunwolves? Tell, tell me how that came about. Who Was it? Tony Brown, who was coaching him at the time? So, uh, when my first year, it wasn't. It was um, my first year. Who was the Brown? It was Philo Tietia, my first okay. year. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, my first year, uh, I just uh, just finished my, my six-month contract um, and I got offered another two years to NTT. And then uh, Rob just came up to me kind of near the the – the end of the year and he's like how would you like to play some super rugby 
And I was like, yeah, obviously I'd, I'd be super keen. He's like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to have a talk to Philo. And he was like, for me, um, I want you to obviously keep growing. So I'm going to try and get you a part of the team. And so Philo didn't really know me at all, to be fair. He just kind of went off what Rob said. And thankfully Philo gave me an opportunity and yeah, I got to train. I think I only played maybe eight, eight games that year or nine games. So it wasn't, it wasn't the most, but just to be immersed kind of in the super rugby experience and world was massive. And was this, was this your first year in Japan or was this the second? This second? was my first year. My so first you've, year you've gone from playing a bit of first grade, you know, second grade, first grade shoot shield yeah. to moving to Tokyo. And then all of a sudden you're playing super rugby for the Sunwolves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mate, that's, that's crazy if you think of it. Yeah, exactly. That's what that's what I kind of meant. Um, I mean, in a way, it's kind of all been uh, the same journey, but obviously overseas. I mean, I think that's what's massive for players and what players are realizing now is, you know, I feel like Australia's kind of lagged behind a little bit with um, growing their youth through and kind of being able to support <clears throat> players like uh, coming up. And I think yeah. players are discovering like, okay, there's still a route I can take where I can actually make money as well and then hit super rugby if interested. I feel like yeah. that's what um, Japan did for me, especially. So uh, who did, did, was it Jamie Joseph and Tony Brown? They were coaching the Sunwolves at the end of it. How did that all uh, work? No, it was, um, it was Tony Brown who was, uh, Tony Brown, Scott Hansen. So Scott Hansen now at the Crusaders. Tony Brown, obviously Landers legend. Um, so it, those two. Yeah, yeah so I was just going to say, what was it like being around guys like that? Because Tony Brown's a bit of a legend as a player and a, uh, apparently a very good coach as well. Oh, mate, he, is, he, he honestly has been one of, paired with Rob, um, Tony has been one of the most like influential coaches I've had the pleasure to work with. Um, he just, he, he also, I think what is massive for a team is that New Zealand teams uh, kind of thrive and kind of beat Australia as team culture. I mean, early on in the season, I, I can just, um, for an example, where, we had six weeks to kind of get ready as a, as the Sunwolves were always a uh, short preseason because we'd just finished top league coming into um, super rugby. So it'd be top league. We'd get maybe four or five days off and then we're into preseason of Sunwolves. So week two, I mean, you know what is preseason like pretty tough. Um, but after the, I think the third day, the third day we're, uh, we all finished training. We get caught into this room and he's like, all right, sit down and like we all sit down he's got some music playing he just puts down a case of 24 and he's like it's time to bond boys and we just everyone cracks open a beer we're all yarning and he's just immediately talking about you would know like a, a good night out with the boys or a good couple of drinks with the boys everyone kind of mends and forms relationships and um guards go down with you know the boys will have a crack all of a sudden like all of a sudden we've got you know Edward Quirk, who would be uh, fluent in Japanese, which he, is not the okay. case. <laughs> it's not the okay. case. So he just understood the team culture and he, he brought us together. And I think that year is kind of when I, I started to probably hit my form. Um, 
and it's it's for his coaching. It's, he he gets it as in he knows it's like rugby's rugby, but life isn't just rugby. And yeah. I think that's what was uh, really special with him. He sounds like my type of coach, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, mate. A top bloke. I mean, as a, a, another example is like, would have a play for the week and he's just like, say one of the boys like get a bad pass and um, he's like, hey, mate, next time you catch it, if you try to flick it behind your back, he's like, he, he's all about kind of flaring it and making the game it is. And like, that's, uh, that's one thing I, I love about footy is just kind of off the cuff things, play what you see and express yourself. And he was all about that, which was unreal. I've got, got a theory that there's two ways for a team to bond and it's the beers and the Broncos. And you've got to have a good mix of both. <laughs> you've got to have a good mix of both and you've got the perfect sort of storm. Yeah. But I think sometimes you, you go – you go, it doesn't work if you're too far one way or the other way. You've got to have a good yeah. balance. And uh, yeah, exactly. I've, been in, I've been in teams that have gone too far the beers route. And, you know, I think a lot of Australian rugby is probably too far the Broncos route and not enough the beers. I've got to ask before I forget, bro, Rob Penny, tell me, tell me about him. Obviously, you came back to Oz uh, <laughs> to work with him and then all the stuff happened with the Tars. Yeah. Um, what's he like as a coach? What's he like as a bloke? Um, what are your yeah. thoughts? <clears throat> nah, um, yeah, as you said, well, I, I originally signed to Taz uh, to kind of come back to, to work under Rob. Obviously, hearing he, he got sacked was terrible. But, um, yeah, just a, just a top man. Like, uh, he's, he's kind of similar in Tony Brown in ways of, uh, like expressing yourself. Like I remember my, after my first year, he's like, all right, let's, I want you to start um, kind of getting a kicking game about yourself. I was like, really? Is that, yeah. On the this edges, was, you know, were you a number eight at the time? Or yeah. Or yeah. Center? yeah, yeah right. No, no. So I'm, so I'm playing back row. <laughs> yeah. And, but you know, these days how back row on the edges, he's like, I want it to also, I want it to be a, um, an option that you can, you know, drop it on your right and left foot to grab it through. And then, pick up so stuff like that but he also really knows what he wants as well and he, he knows the balance like you were just saying then like he would come out with us us lads for for a couple of drinks get amongst it you know bring rounds for the boys um but he would also you know be into you about getting in contacts and switching on when it comes to your rugby yeah and i think that that's one thing i can definitely appreciate um I, I heard an interview with Steve Hansen the other day about, you know how some coaches try not to get close to players because then they have to make tough decisions about them? Yeah. And he's like, I don't understand why you wouldn't want to get close to your players because you'd be able to coach them better. And then if, you, if you're not making the decision with the best interest of the team, that's on you and not necessarily on being close to the player. Does, does that yeah. make sense? So he, yeah, he sounds... He and Tony Brown sound like those kind of guys that uh, will get close to players to get the most out of them. But at the yeah. end of the day, it's about what's best for the team. And yeah. that's the overriding thing with everything. Exactly. Is that, is, yeah, yeah. Is that a fair no. call? Exactly, exactly what you said. Like, I just because me and Rob were close, like, I mean, he would still come up to me about, listen, mate, you, you dropped for this game because you, you, you weren't up to par. Yeah. And I mean, 
someone you respect. It's kind of like when when your old man would tell you, "All right, this is you, you didn't have the best game. This is what you got to do." And I yeah. mean, <clears throat> some people react different, but if you're a person who truly loves your rugby, I feel like you want a criticism. You want to grow because I mean, you don't grow if you if everything's smooth sailing. Man, I couldn't agree more. It's almost yeah. like um, you know that this guy loves you, so he's being honest, honest to you. If yeah, that makes sense. Let's let's jump back. I just jump around, bro. It's just the way my stupid, right. stupid brain works. How close? Do you, how close were you to playing for Japan? So, uh, at the time, I was in the camp. I was training twelve. So yeah, pretty much off the bat, I'm told I'm in the camp. And I'm preparing at 12 um, and I was, uh, I got sat down by Tony, Tony Brown and um, Jeremy Jaron. They were like, all right, we're looking to have you up against Fiji, which was one of the first games at 12. <clears throat> so um, trained the, the hardest camp I've ever gone through. Um, 30 days of uh, morning session afternoon session and after dinner sessions um, after dinner after dinner, <laughs> after dinner <laughs> we were um, doing two hour sessions so it was the hardest camp I've ever been through um, pretty much had been training all the all the as well my, my, my foot was broken at the time so I was just taking quarter zone shots to kind of get through it and they're like all right we just need to kind of bust ass get you through it um, and then the last day uh, Jamie just sits down and he goes, yeah, sorry, mate. Uh, we, we were out. We were, weren't able to do it. So the whole time in the background, I knew they were working to, to get me in. And then that last day is when I found out. So, so, you, so you didn't qualify? Is, is that what yeah. that is? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, was, I was, I think, uh, a week or so out. Seriously? That close? Yeah. Yeah. yeah were, uh, what were those sessions like because I, I remember listening to Eddie Jones do a podcast <laughs> about when he was the Japanese coach and he was trying to change the culture of Japan rugby and look yeah. they all, the guys who've done who've been there have obviously done a pretty fucking good job of that but but what what are you doing three times a day uh so one thing about Jamie Joe <clears throat> is he's he's a face value man so if he sees you kind of slacking off or trying to make an excuse is he's, he's not going to like you um and i think for for players that he gets on with when you just show you by stars he's a man that loves contact so day one like this so an example of a normal day was come in gym gym conditioning um and then would wrestle we had a wrestling coach uh jujitsu coach so we did jujitsu for so it was like an hour of gym, uh, thirty minutes of off feet conditioning, so uh, row ski, and then straight into your jujitsu. So what time? No. What time did this start? So that would be uh, eight a.m. start till okay. uh, eleven thirty twelve. So gentlemanly. Yeah. So <laughs> we'd finish that. So eleven thirty. We'd have our lunch um, around 12 or 1. And then our second session was always quite fast after. It was like 2.30. Second session was our field session. So you straight out on the field, uh, we were into um, our like contacts. So 
Um, I remember day one, Jamie Joe had the boys lined up. This is no joke. 15 meters apart. And he's like, run it. Sprinted at each other. And we, we had to sprint upright into a heavy contacted tackle. There were six injuries the first day, as in. Yeah, but it was, he just wanted to, I think <clears throat> he just wanted to see, like, who was, um, sorry. I lost, I lost your phone. Yeah, there you go. I think he, he just wanted to see um, who was kind of there and ready for it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was our field session. We'll do it. It got to about an hour and a half field and then the last half an hour would be uh conditioning so we'd have either bro- broken bronco sets as well as sometimes a lot of the time we had weights on the field so we had to like do like a couple weights burpee over bar and then yeah so we'd finish that usually around 4 30 or 5 head in dinner Six o'clock, and then uh, I think it was seven thirty start for our night session. Seven thirty uh, forwards. Uh, that's this is the time where I was. Thank God I was in forwards. They had more more D D and um, scrum for uh, hour and a half sessions with the night ones. How many times a day, How many times a week did you do that? So we did that every day except uh, Saturday. We only did till the afternoon. And then Sunday off, and then back on. So, so, so Monday to Friday, three sessions a day. Saturday, yeah. double session. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday off. off. And how back many weeks? And you did that for thirty days. The thirty days, mate. That is fucking insane. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was the. It was the toughest camp, but I think mentally, it's it's helped me. But yeah, it was the toughest camp. Did you did like did they smash your recovery, make sure you had heaps of food between sessions, or was that kind of all on you? Nah, so we we got to, we were in like a hotel and that, and food was massive. So like you were given what what you needed to, um, but yeah, but every everyone straight after, well, everyone was into ice bars, everyone was into um, the Norma text and stuff like that. I mean, we had massages I think every second night. For yeah. 30 minutes and yeah you just had to get into your stretching straight away so jamie joe jamie joseph yeah jamie joseph yeah when when did you do this was this before the world cup or was this before, this is before like, world cup this is our world okay. cup training this okay. is before so, the trial game against fiji okay so so a week later you still would have qualified for the world cup is that right no but there's or, a cutoff deadline okay okay so i think by the end of it yeah. Um. As yeah, I, I was in, I was out. Okay, but still crazy experience. Crazy experience. Good experience. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you can take it two ways, man. I, I was I was devastated to be honest. I mean, because I was playing through like I was in agony every night because my foot was just broken from sunwolves, and my rib cartilage popped out on the last. Uh, I think I was playing the last four or five games. Um, Did they know my, that? By the way. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. Do that. yeah, yeah. You know how it is, just quarter zone and just do your best, though, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but uh, so to be honest, when I found out, I was just overwhelmed. I think it was, you know, a lot. I just kind of started tearing up and like, I was just like, holy, like, I've just slaughtered myself. And now I'm told I can't like do what I was all for. Yeah, you know, it was yeah. like studying, studying every day, three times a day, 
30 days straight and then being told there's no test and like, what was the point of it? But oh, like you said, it, you got to kind of take the, the good with the bad. Well, mate, when you end up playing for the Wallabies, you'll go, oh, I'm glad, I'm glad all that happened. That's, that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping yeah. it's all kind of worked in. Um, looking at how well Japan played in that World Cup, I, I think Jamie Joseph would probably feel pretty validated about how hard he was working you guys. Because, yeah, so. like, Japan, Japan in that World Cup, like, they didn't win the World Cup, but they kind of won the World Cup, if, if yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty yeah. exciting to watch. And, like, you know, they, they really got the most out of them. Like you said, there was, a, I feel like it was the biggest standout where people were playing around far out. We, we probably do need to take Japan a bit more serious, which and, is awesome. And, and, and I think it shows uh, a lot of people that you can probably work a lot harder than you, you think you can. Yeah. You know, because exactly. I, I feel like people feel like a lot of players would look at that and go, oh, that's just way too much. But then look at how well they performed, you know. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk coming back to Australia, bro. So you, you've come back to the TARS in probably the most unusual circumstances possible. Um, so you, yeah, there was the COVID situation last year, still still having the effects this year. Um, the head coach gets sacked midway through the season. Um, young boys, new group, um, just weird circumstances, really. Yeah. What was it like coming home? Was it good? Was it strange? How did you um, feel about it? Yeah, uh, it was a it was a little bit of a shock. Um, but it also helped me um, sympathise for, for the lads as well, of like what they've gone through. I mean, people don't really know the full extent of kind of what the team has kind of had to endure this year. Um, we've had like, I think, two or three more staff members leave ahead of uh, performance, um, like the general kind of manager. Um, and, yeah, so the boys, the boys have kind of, it's kind of just been a near the end of the season. It was kind of like, let's just hold on kind of, you know, get these games out. And then I feel like we're going through like now a rebuild stage where, yeah. you know, hopefully we can rebuild our staff um, and kind of, you know, come back to build like, you know, Tars is what we know they can be when, you know, people like Izzy Falau and all that with it, we're here. Um, Cause it's a, it's a top tier organization. I mean, you know the t- Tars in their prime um, of how they can be, but yeah, it, it's definitely it was a, it was a, co- a bit of a shock, but um, it helped me kind of sympathize and really understand that these boys have kind of made do with what they had. Well, it's a it's a very weird situation that the boys are in because there's a lot of young guys there. They're they're living the dream, like you're playing for the Waratahs. That's you know, you, you play rugby in New South Wales as a kid. You want to play for the yeah. Warriors. And, you know, they're, they're under all this pressure that's not necessarily of their own doing. And they're learning. A lot of guys are learning how to play professional rugby at, while they're playing professional rugby. If yeah. That makes, if that no, makes it sense. does. I mean, yeah. you, you're lucky. You had like a four or five-year stint learning how to be a professional. Yeah. But a lot of the young guys coming in, it's completely new to play. It's completely different to playing shoot shield. Yeah. And I kind of feel like, you know how they say teams have different cycles of development? 
I feel like the Tars are, are at the beginning of their new cycle and they're, yeah. they're, they're the only way they can really go is up and they will get better. Yeah. Um, what about the coaches? What about the players? Everyone welcomed you. It was pretty easy yeah. to come back in. No, a great bunch of lads, but as you said, they're so young. Like I'm 25 and I've never really felt like any team I've gone to, I've been a veteran, and at this team, I feel like I'm one of the old, the, the old blokes, which is, which is different. But like you said, um, uh, young, young bunch of boys, but great, great lads, like uh, very welcoming. It was, it was easy to sink in and kind of get back into it. But um, yeah, so in terms of the the, the the coaching stuff and things like that, I think uh, we kind of had two of the, uh, the assistant coaches, the um, kind of just working together to get out what the rest of that um, season was really. Um, I don't really know too much about um, Coleman. Um, yeah. I've heard good things though from like people like Tabsy and stuff like that. Um, this but, is good. This is yeah. good, touch, mate. He's good. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You know, um, I, was, I was talking to someone about him today and. The, the thing that he will bring, and I'm not saying any, anything against anyone else because, you know, Rob Penny's a winner as well. Yeah. Um, but DC's an out and out winner. He, he's pretty much won everywhere he's been. So, yeah. I think, and he'll really understand the culture of the place, which I'm not sure a lot of other people can do as easily, maybe. Yeah. Um, rest of the year. So, you're playing with South for the rest of the year. Um, yeah. Are you like, Super rugby's done, isn't it? You've got no more games. Then yeah, it's no, back no. into preseason. How many years have you signed with the Tars at the moment? Uh, two years so far. So okay. On a two-year deal. See what um, happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see see what happens, and hopefully, um, hopefully next year be able to get a really good season with these guys, and um, you know, see what kind of um, opportunities arise from that. Do you know what this, the season's going to look like next year as of yet? Uh, no, I've got no clue, to be honest. Um, like with this COVID, I mean, it's not making organize, organising anything a lot easier. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I actually don't really know. I just kind of know we'll be hitting uh, pre-season, I'm guessing, around November before the – November and then a little quick one before December, Christmas break, and then start to build for next year. Nice, man. Well, thank you for your time. I've got a few more. I just got a few random questions for you, and then I'll yeah, right. let you go back no to whatever, whatever it is you're doing, my friend. <clears throat> Do you – who's been the biggest influence on your career? Big influence on me. Um, to uh, – if it had to be someone, I'd definitely say. Um, uh, so the year where I've kind of gone well was I learned a lot under um, two players named uh, Jace, Jace, uh, Jason Emery, and um, Dan Pryor. Um, those two boys taught me a lot. Um, Jace, because Jace was in um, the Highlanders, uh, I think it was like eighteen. So he was playing like top tier rugby at a young age and he kind of taught me um, looking over video, stuff like that, like uh, preparing yourself and that when you prepare yourself, you, you can um, 
play with confidence because there's nothing to really be worried about. And DP taught me a lot in terms of just like mental well-being. I mean, I used to sometimes overtrain um, my day off. So I'd go gym and kind of be like rugby, rugby. And then he kind of taught me about switching off and learning to, to kind of <clears throat> enjoy life for what it is as well. Yeah. And I feel like, feel like when, when I kind of nailed both the on-field and the off-field, it, um, it helped me a lot. That was, that was going to be my next question. It was more about the mental side of the game. Do you get anxiety when you play? No, not, not really, to, um, to be honest, because like I just spoke to you then, I, I feel like um, <clears throat> I know the preparation I need to do to play well. And when I check that off the list, um, I honestly do not have any doubts. Like I'll be like, what, what else can I do? Leading and up to he, this match. he taught you that. He taught you that, or did you ever get any outside help with that? Uh, no, no, no. So I, I felt like I just learned from the players. To be honest, I learned yeah. from, from and you know having the good good yarns with DP and Jace about it. Just as in, you know, uh, when you train hard, you're training on the field, do your off field stuff. So look over video, do those kind of extras, um, your recovery, and then. You know, enjoy life, enjoy enjoy the outside world. I mean, there's a lot to live for, so you know, mate, exploring very, places. You're very lucky to learn that at your age, mate. Just quietly, yeah. Because I feel like a lot of guys will go through their entire career dealing with anxiety, and you know, because it's a weird job what you guys yeah. do. It's, you're being judged every day, every week, you know, publicly. And it's full on, and unless you can get the mental side of it right, I think a yeah. lot of guys really struggle with that. Yeah, exactly. What do you do in your free time? Free time. Uh, free time. I, I do enjoy basketball. Um, been balling up a lot with uh, one of the boys named uh, Marky. Uh, uh, yep. the, the other Fijian in the, in the TARS team. And I enjoy our photography. So get, in, get into a bit of photography, a bit of videography, um, Use your ISOs and all that sort of yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, using um, – and also, like, a little bit of fashion. I do enjoy uh, um, some good kit and uh, and coffee. Japan kind of got me really into coffee. So, I, I mean, I used to travel the streets of Tokyo on my day off Wednesday, like, looking for new coffee spots. Yeah. Um, so, a bit of a coffee thing. Couple, couple more questions for you, mate. Why, why do you play rugby? Wow, what a question. Why do yeah. I play rugby? Um, wow. I, to be fair, I, I, I love it. Like, I, I, love, I love performing. Um, I mean, uh, I kind of always felt from when I was young, I was, I was going to do something like, it sounds weird, but like performing or um, – if I was going to be artsy, if I was going to do like acting or if I was going to do uh, rugby, I, I knew I just wanted to perform and kind of um, get into something like that. And so I just love kind of getting out there, and um, especially I feel like in attack and stuff like that is where I kind of just really enjoy myself, to be honest. It's, it's weird. I think even you could – say it it's like you have those moments when you just kind of you're living in the moment because i think when you play rugby you got to be present yeah so it's just one of those that's exactly it that's the reason i enjoyed it mate because my head 
my head is always somewhere here, somewhere there, and yeah. that it's every week. Your head is worrying about that guy trying to push your head through your ass, <laughs> and you've just got to deal with that. And I think that, yeah, that's mate, that's a great answer. What are you going to do once you finish playing? Um, to be fair, I, I feel like I, I'd love to have a uh, like a my own cafe or, or a bar or something like that. I'd love to um, kind of learn a, a lot more about that, the business factor, but also I've, I'm a very, um, I've got a, quite an imagination because I, I feel like I can see like an awesome bar that I could set up from the influences of traveling to South Africa, Tokyo, Argentina, and being able to kind of have like a little influence from each of those and um, hopefully like a nice wee coffee shop could be good as well. You do a coffee shop bar like they do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where's your favourite touring destination? Argentina was pretty pretty awesome. Where, where'd you um, go? Where'd you go? Uh, over there? Buenos Aires. It was Buenos Aires. We were there. Yeah. Um, as a as a, a young single man in in uh, South America, uh, when I was there, it was yeah. it was a, a great experience. Um. And South Africa is pretty awesome, man. Uh, Cape, Cape Town. Town. Yeah, Cape Town. I mean, $12 ribs, you know, $2 chocolate thick shakes. It's unreal. I've never and, heard a big boy complain about South Africa, mate. Yeah. No. <laughs> you can't, can't go wrong in South Africa, especially mate, with that RAND conversion. Let's finish on this, mate. What advice would you give? <laughs> well, you're 25 now. Let's say 15-year-old Raboni Vosayato. Yeah. Did I say that right? Yeah. No, you're there. You're there, bro. That's good. <laughs> it's a tough one. <laughs> um, advice I would give. Um, what advice I would give? Uh, probably live in the moment. Um, and that uh, I think you just got to be patient and um, like I said, live in the moment of, of each kind of thing that you get each stage of your life. Because um, <clears throat> when I when I learned to do that, I felt like I I felt more grounded. I mean, you know, living over in Japan, uh, you can lose your feet a bit. You know, if you're just living kind of out there, but if you kind of stay grounded and live in the moment, where you're just like, all right, I'm here in Japan right now. I'm training. And then you're like, you're having a coffee, but just kind of taking those little moments at a time. Um, I feel like you're, you're going to appreciate life a lot more. Cause I mean, you know, rugby is amazing thing, but I think what you got to remember too is life, life's a, a massive thing. So if you can enjoy your life and enjoy those moments, everything else will follow suit. I forgot to ask you. That was, that was beautiful, by the way. I'm gonna write. <laughs> I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> How was COVID? How was COVID in Japan? Uh, so, mate. To be fair, that that last block in Japan was a bit of a, a bit of a a shit fight. Um, yeah, we got locked down. Um, probably like a month after I got there, we had a two week lockdown. We're getting um, even through the season. We we're having um, COVID tests every Monday. Um, but our season kept getting delayed, so I ended up having a six-month preseason. Right. So it cooked me a wee bit. Um, 
And to be fair, I think Japan's kind of uh, hiding it a little bit so they can get this world, the, the Olympics yeah, through. Because they got so much funding to get through. So yeah, Anime does worth so much money to them. Oh, it's bill- billions. It'll be billions of dollars. Money. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, <laughs> mate, this was a fucking great conversation, my friend. Um, Good yarns, brother. Thank you so much for doing this. And so easy. Yeah. When, when will I see you next? Are you guys still in the bubble? or? Yeah, we are. We are still in a wee bit of a bubble. But, I mean, I'm on a little break right now. Yeah, um, yeah I guess probably see you at South. So once once the lockdown's over, you'll be back training. I think so. Okay. Yeah, hopefully. Good shit, mate. Well, enjoy, enjoy the break. Enjoy the break. Um, Thanks, brother. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Appreciate it, man. Take care. Thanks, bro. See ya. Thanks, bro. Later. And that's today's episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode or any of our episodes, please make sure to subscribe um, on your preferred podcasting platform. Currently, we're on YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And please make sure you follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Wandering Bear Sports. Until next week, wishing you and yours all the best and we'll see you next week.